we were able to feed um, approximately 200 or so, 200 plus families um, through our Feeding the 4,000 um, food giveaway program. And people were come out, able to come out and to receive. And so we just want to thank everybody who came out and volunteered their time to sow into the lives and the hearts and the minds of people. How many know it's better to give than it is to receive? I don't know about you, but I'm happy to be the one giving out the food instead of the one that needs to be in the line receiving the food. Amen. Okay, so let's go. Today we're going to um, finish up the third part of our teaching series called God's Appointed Time with Man. And if you will turn in your Bibles to the book of Leviticus chapter 23, Leviticus chapter 23. That is our focal scripture for this series, and we will be going throughout the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 23 in order, listing, talking about the Sabbath and the feast as they are listed in scripture. Amen. So let's go to the word. Amen. Okay, so today's message, we are focusing on the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of First Fruits. And some of you may be thinking, well, that's, that's Easter time feast stuff. Why are we teaching this um, during, why didn't we teach this during Easter or the, on a resurrection day? And um, that shows me, those of you that are thinking that, go ahead and raise your hand if you're thinking that. Okay. So if you did, if you raised your hand, you just told on yourself. Because <laughs> that tells me you weren't in church on Resurrection Day or around during that time. So you want to make sure you download the video from our website because we did teach on that. Um, and for those of you that were present and paying attention, this will just give you a greater and more in-depth understanding of the festivals. Amen. No, but seriously, this is a teaching on God's appointed time with man. Therefore, we're going to be reviewing the entire book of Leviticus 22, chapter 23. And that includes the Sabbath and all of the festivals in the order written in scripture. So that's the reason why we're going through that. Okay. So as we've learned already, the 23rd chapter of the book of Leviticus, it gives us an account of seven great feasts of the Lord. They were prophecies and foreshadowing of future events, and part of which has been fulfilled and are part that are yet to come, okay? So they are the shadow of things to come, of which Christ is the body or substance. They were holy convocations of the people, and they were instituted by the Lord. Man had no voice in the matter. That's what's so important and significant for us to understand about these appointed times, they were not set up by man. God instituted them. Amen. And so in scripture where it says 
your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. What God was referring to is after a period of time, the people began to do things, you know, idly on their own. And it really no longer became about God. That's what God was referring to when he says, you know, I'm weary to bear them. But the feast of the Lord, the ones that he instituted, when you do it with the right heart, when it's done with the right heart and application of the word of God, those God honors. Amen. So therefore, Jesus called them feasts of the Jews when they were doing it on their own instead of feasts of the Lord. But the feasts of the Lord are seven in number, and they include the Sabbath. When you include the Sabbath, then they're eight. But the Sabbath stands on its own. How do we know that? Because the Sabbath is to be um, observed weekly. However, the feasts were to be observed annually, okay? And the Sabbath is to be, it can be observed in your home, or sometimes we do it together as an assembly. That's what those Shabbat dinners are, are talking about. Okay, so the seven feasts can be divided into two sections, four and three. The first section includes the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, or of First Fruits and Pentecost. And there are four months interval, followed by the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and Tabernacles. The three great festivals were the Passover, the Pentecost, and the Tabernacles. And they extended from the 14th day of the first month to the 22nd day of the seventh month. And some of you I've lost already. You're like, well, what does that have to do with us today? Keep listening, okay? We're going to learn what the Holy Spirit is saying to us today and how it is relevant for us today. So the first four feasts foreshadow truths connected with this present gospel dispensation. And those who form the heavenly people of the Lord, the church, while the last three feasts foreshadow the blessings in store for God's earthly people. Amen. So let's learn a little bit about the Passover. If you're turning your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 23, verses 4 through 8, which I want you to read silently to yourself, verses 4 through 8. So the Passover feast remembers the last plague of the of last plague in Egypt. And that's when the angel of death passed over the children of Israel who applied the blood of the lamb to their doors. So I want you to get a picture in your mind. You take a door and you apply the blood of the lamb to the door. And so the Israelites took a bundle of hyssop and they dipped it into the blood. And guess what they did from there? They touched the two sides of the frames, okay? And then from the bottom to the top, the side to side, that motion forms what? A cross. So they took a lamb. Some of you have caught on. Some of you are still confused. They took a lamb. They took the lamb's blood, and they formed what formed a cross with the blood covering their door so that when the angel of death passed over when he saw the blood of the lamb he did what he passed over their house amen john the baptist when john the baptist said look the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world 
in John 1, 29, he understood the Old Testament reference. And in the New Testament, we see that Jesus, who was what? Born in a manger, born in a stable, visited by shepherds, and led to the slaughter. His blood was shed for you and me. He's the lamb that was sent for us. Amen. He is the lamb that shed his blood for us. His death allows the judgment we deserve because of sin to pass over us. Amen. So when we accept Christ, we accept the loving gift of a second chance because of his death on the cross. We now have a clean slate. So if we understand that uh, during the Old Testament time, when the children of Israel, they applied the blood of an animal, a lamb, to their door, and death passed, the death angel passed over them, they were spared from a physical death, amen? However, when the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, shed his blood for us, and we accept him into our heart. That blood is poured out on us because of what Jesus did on the cross. And therefore, the spiritual death that sin brings, that we all would be subject to that judgment, guess what? It passes over us because of the blood of Jesus that was shed for us, for our sins. And so let me make sure we understand here. The Passover feast, is, it originated in Egypt, is a memorial of the redemption and the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt. What does that have to do with us as Christians today? How is that applicable now? Why should I even pay attention to the Passover? Let's look at this. It consisted of taking a male lamb without blemish of the first year, a lamb for a family. One family had a lamb. Each family had a lamb. Killing it and sprinkling its blood with a bunch of hyssop on two side posts and going up bottom to top, which formed a cross. Amen. And so the Lord passed through Egypt that night, saw the blood on the doorposts, and he spared their firstborn. Amen. And so the Passover feast was to be a memorial, and the children of Israel were to keep it as a feast throughout generations, as an ordinance forever. Why? Because they were to remember what the Lord did for them that day, as in he delivered them. He spared them because of the blood of the lamb. Now, we as Christians today, we have to understand something. The Passover lamb was intended as a type of Jesus, the lamb of God. Jesus is the lamb of God. So the shedding of his blood on Calvary and our applying it to our hearts by faith has the same effect as to our salvation, as the applying of the Passover lamb's blood to the doorposts of those Egyptian houses had to the safety of those who were sheltered within. In other words, the blood of Jesus 
saves and delivers us. Amen. Just like the physical blood of that animal. When God saw it on the doorpost, he passed over. We have to understand when God looks at us, those of us who have accepted Christ in our heart, he sees the blood of Jesus on us. Therefore, the judgment that sin would bring, guess what? It passed over us. Amen? So we have to honor and understand the Passover lamb is Jesus. Jesus is the Passover lamb. Because it tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. In other words, at this point, there's no need to go out and grab a lamb and physically slay that lamb. Why? Because Jesus' blood was shed once and for all, for all. Amen. He is the Passover lamb. So how is the Passover observed uh, today? Well, first and foremost, the children of Israel or the Jews, they, observe, they still observe the Passover feast. However, they aren't out slaying animals or anything like that. They do it as a memorial. But we as Christians, what are we doing today? It's for us to remember how the Lord delivered the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, which is a type of bondage. And celebrate the fact that Jesus is our Passover lamb who has delivered us from a spiritual bondage through his shed blood on the cross. As Jesus was sacrificed on the cross, his blood was shed once and for all for our sins. So because his blood on the cross delivered us from a spiritual death and brought us into eternal life through his blood, because it is what? By faith that we are saved. Not by anything we have done, but because of what he did at Calvary. It was the shedding of his blood. Amen? So that spiritual death would pass over us as believers in Jesus Christ. And we would gain eternal life. So that's why we as a believer, as Christians today, do have to remember the Passover, because Jesus is the Passover lamb. Amen. The Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's a seven-day feast. It begins on the day following the start of Passover. Anybody see the significance there? Watch it, how, how significant that is. It's a seven-day feast. It begins on the day following the start of Passover. And in the haste of the Israelites to leave Egypt, watch this closely. See, it's time for us to grow up in our faith and really understand what God is saying to us. Now, watch closely. You have the Passover. Now, the day following the Passover. In the haste of the Israelites to leave Egypt, there was no time to add leaven or yeast to their bread. Watch closely. During the t this time, remembering the hardships in Egypt and how God freed them from captivity, the Jews eat nothing leavened. So during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Jews don't eat any leavened bread. It's unleavened. 
They don't eat any bread that has yeast in it. Amen. Now, leaven represents sin and decay in the Bible. Watch closely. Those of you who are, as we say, woke, if you're woke, you understand and you've already caught this in the spirit realm. Watch closely because it's time to grow up in our faith and understand what God is saying to us. You have the Passover, the day following the Passover. Now, the death angel has passed over their house. All of the firstborn of the Egyptians have been slain. Pharaoh says, okay, y'all get out. Time for y'all to go. You're out of the physical bondage. You're, going, you're about to get ready to go to Canaan. So therefore, because of the parts of the people, they ended up in the wilderness, wandering around, and the generations passed on, and finally they did get into Canaan. But watch this. Let's go back here. The day after the Passover, okay, the Israelites are ready to leave. They're leaving so quickly, they don't have time to put yeast in their bread. So it's unleavened bread, okay? Leaven represents sin and decay in the Bible. And once incorporated, yeast becomes an inseparable part of the bread. The same is true for sin's effects on our lives. So in other words, man could never free themselves from sin. It took the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world in order for us to be free from sin. Amen? Because once yeast is in bread, it could never be separated naturally. The only way was for the supernatural to come. Once sin came into the world through Adam and Eve, the only way for us to be separated from it, was for the Lamb of God to come and shed his blood. And then by faith in him are we free. Amen? So the Jews were constantly sacrificing unblemished animals to temporarily atone for sins. So what the Jews were doing is constantly sacrificing lambs, constantly sacrificing animals, temporarily atoning for their sins. But once Jesus Christ went to the cross, he died once and for all for our sins. Only the Messiah, only the Messiah, who is the perfect sinless sacrifice, could offer a permanent solution to atone for our sins. That's what he did on the cross. He offered a permanent solution to atone for our sins. So the unleavened bread represents Jesus' sinless life. He is the only perfect sacrifice for our sins. It tells us in John uh, 6.35, in John 6.35, Jesus boldly states that he's the bread of life. Not only does he remove our sins, he nourishes our souls. Because John 6.35 says, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. How does this apply to us today? What does all of this mean? Well, to understand that, we've got to understand exactly the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Remember, the Lord told Moses in Leviticus, that these are the feasts that the people are to remember. 
It was a foreshadowing and a prophecy of things to come. See, all of the scripture points to Jesus and his sacrifice for us on the cross. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it began after Passover, continued for seven days. During that time, the lamb was slain. And during that time, they put the blood on their doorposts, okay? So as the Passover is a type of the death of Christ, so the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a type of the walk of the believer. In other words, after the Lord delivered the children of Israel and protected them and spared their life, he brought them out. Amen. In other words, as Christian believers, after we have accepted Christ and God delivered us from a life of sin, he brings us out. And therefore, we are to walk in holiness. So the feast of unleavened bread, leaven being yeast or sin and decay, the feast of unleavened bread is a type of the walk of the believer. Some of you are lost already. You don't understand. The feast of unleavened bread is a type of the walk of the believer. The walk without sin and decay. Amen. And there should be no interval between the salvation of a soul and its entrance on a holy life, a Christian life. In other words, once God brings you out, you shouldn't still be walking in the same way that you were before. You shouldn't be the same person that you were before. You are a new creation. You are new. Everything about you is new. You are born again. Amen? So the seven days point to the whole course of the believer's life after conversion. So if you ever see somebody who just freshly, newly got saved and they're on fire for God, they're completely different. That's how we ought to be 20, 30, 40, 50 years later as a believer. We should be different. Our walk and our lifestyle should be different. Leaven in scriptures is a type of evil. So the feast was to be kept with unleavened bread. Paul speaks of malice and wickedness as leaven. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. That's 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and 8. So the teaching on the feast of the unleavened bread is that having been saved by the shed blood of Christ, our Passover lamb, we are to walk in newness of life, Purging out the leaven of worldliness and sin. Purging out the leaven of worldliness and sin. So now that we are saved but blood-bought believers, we ought to walk in newness. Our life, our speech, our attitude should change. It should be different. 
Ephesians 4.31 tells us, get rid of all bitterness, anger, rage, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. You trying to convince somebody that you're a Christian and you're walking in malice with no repentance in your heart? Nothing on the inside of you makes you feel bad when you do something wrong? You're not convicted on the inside. Don't get me wrong. We all sin and make mistakes. Everybody does. But nothing, you know, you give somebody a moment when they get angry and they say or do things in the moment, in the heat of the moment. But an hour or two later, you don't feel nothing. What's on the inside of you? Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander. You're able to lie on someone and not feel a thing. And along with every form of malice, your walk should be different as a believer in Christ. Amen. First Peter 2, 1 through 3. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, some of us need to grow up in our salvation. It's time to grow up. It's time to mature spiritually. Nobody should have to come and get you and tell you when you're wrong. On the inside of you, you know when you've done something right or wrong. Amen? What is the Feast of Unleavened Bread today for Christians? How do we recognize it, remember it, celebrate it. Remember these feasts, the Sabbath was to be observed weekly. The feasts were to be observed annually. How do we recognize it? What do we do here today? Well, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is the time of prayer and fasting. It's a time of reflection. Looking at your own life and your walk with Christ and how we live on a daily basis. It's a time of intentional dedication unto the Lord. Intentional. And it's a time to grow up in our faith. Amen. So during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you might find Christians fasting more, spending more time in prayer, being intentional about their faith. You might find Christians set aside certain things that might distract them from spending time with God, such as social distractions. You know, some people are addicted to their cell phones. Some people can't go five minutes without having their phone in their hand and checking social media. Some people may um, fast television. Some people may fast from groups and things like that, social um, groups that they are part of. The hope is that the believer will be reminded to not let sin or distractions cause them to stray away from their faith or affect their faith in God at all. And it will inspire them to put leaven, sin, and decay aside to live a life that's holy unto the Lord. That's the reason why. And that's what we do today. The Feast of the First Fruits. And for the sake of time, we're going to do the First Fruits, and then um, next week we'll do um, Pentecost. But... 
The Feast of the First Fruits is one of three Jewish harvest feasts, and it is to thank and honor God for all he has provided. Now, just that right there alone is a reason why we need to remember the Feast of First Fruits. Every believer in Christ, we can all say that God has done something for us, amen? I mean, he woke us up and we're here today, amen? So we ought to thank and honor God for that. It's not just what he has put in our bank account and all the financial blessings that he's given us, but it's the life that he has given us, amen? Because how many know that you have already lived past the lies of the enemy? The enemy said you wouldn't even be here. He said you wouldn't be in your right mind. He said you wouldn't be able to think or talk or walk or do anything that he has set aside for you, that God has set aside for you to do. If the enemy had his way, you wouldn't even be alive. So that alone is a reason to honor God. Amen. That's a reason to thank God. Amen. You think about it. You had to drive in order to get to the church today. How many know that there were accidents and some people didn't make it to their destination? But it was the grace of God that we are here right now. That alone is a reason to honor God and to thank him. Amen. But the feast of first fruits, the priests sacrificed Passover lambs on the 14th day. And the first day of the Passover was the 15th. So the Feast of First Fruits was celebrated the third day, the 16th of Nisan, and that's on the Jewish uh, calendar. The th this third day celebration was the same day that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Some of you, now that just took all religiousness out of your mind right there because some of you I've lost from the very beginning. Once I started talking about Sabbath and feast days, some of you, your religious mind said, that's a Jewish thing. What is Pastor Frieda talking about? Beloved, it's not a Jewish thing. It's not a Jewish thing, okay? Let me read it to you again. This third day celebration was the same day that Jesus resurrected from the dead. Amen. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20, Paul refers to Jesus as what? The first fruits of the dead. He represents the first of the great harvest souls of souls, including you, that will resurrect to eternal life because of the new covenant in his blood. How so? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Luke twenty-two twenty. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So some of you are saying, well, okay, I'm, I, I got that. That's, that sounds great, but I'm still a little lost. Tell me what the Feast of fruit, First Fruits is again. Okay, let me tell you again. The Passover took place on the 14th day of the month. The Feast of Unleavened Bread on the next day, which was the Sabbath. And, and the following day, which was the morrow after the Sabbath. The Feast of First Fruits was to be celebrated. So this couldn't happen, of course, while they were in um, the wilderness. It only happened once they got it, the children of Israel got into the land of Canaan, okay? So, the, so uh, once they got into 
the land of Canaan, that's when they began to celebrate the Feast of the First Fruits. So in other words, what they were celebrating was how God passed over, the death angel passed over their house, how they were delivered from bondage, how God brought them through the wilderness and now into the promised land of Canaan. And see, some of you have to recognize what your first fruits is, how God delivered us from spiritual bondage, amen, how God has brought us all our life through everything that we have been through and how we're going to what God has promised for us, amen. That's our first fruits. So the children of Israel, the Jewish people, they're commemorating how the Lord delivered them from the land of Egypt, a type of bondage, protected them during the wilderness and brought them to the land of Canaan, the promised land. The first fruits, the feast of the first fruits was a type and foreshadowing of the resurrection of Christ. Remember, these festivals were given to Moses by the Lord. God handed these down. Man had nothing to do with the conversation. We were the listeners. We were the hearers. And we were the ones to obey it. But it came from God. So it is a type and foreshadowing of the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Christ. He rose the morning after the Sabbath. It's time to grow up in our faith and understand. He rose the morning after the Sabbath. His resurrection is spoken of by Paul, as, by Paul as the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead. So when we honor and remember, we honor God and we remember the feast of the first fruits, what are we doing? We're remembering his resurrection. Because had he not died, Come on, somebody. He wouldn't have been able to be resurrected. So he had to die first. He had to go through the cross. He had to be the Passover lamb first. Amen. In order for us to be delivered and brought out of leaven or sin and decay by faith in him and his blood. Amen. And then guess what? He got up on the third day. He didn't stay in the tomb. He got up. He was resurrected. He resurrected himself because he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the life. Therefore, he raised himself. He is the first fruits of the resurrection. Amen? So he was buried in Joseph's tomb, and his resurrection was the first fruits of the harvest of those who will be Christ at his coming. In other words, guess what? Because of his resurrection, you and, I, you and I now can be resurrected. And those that fall asleep in him can be resurrected. Amen? Because the Bible tells us he is the first fruits of. Amen? So when the priests on the day of Christ's resurrection, what they did is they waved the sheaf of first fruits in the temple. It was before a writ veil and was but an empty form for the substance had come and the shadow had passed away and the empty tomb of Joseph proclaimed that the great first fruits had been reaped and waved in the heavenly temple amen 
So in other words, when he got up, that may wait for us to get up. Amen. So John 12, verses 20 through 26. 12, 20 through 26. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Amen. Now, some of you are like, well, okay, I got the, I got the, he's a resurrection, but what exactly does that mean? Okay. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. And this might make it clearer for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12, verses 12 through 23. But if it is preached, and I love the way this, um, this scripture puts it. I love it the way it is. I love this. Because sometimes you have to talk to people like this today. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Because at the time, the Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection of the dead. You know, there's people right now today that don't believe that Jesus Christ ever was resurrected from the dead. There are people that honestly think that. They do. There are people that are confused. So, but if it is preached that Christ was raised from the dead, in other words, we're telling you Jesus Christ was resurrected. How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? How can some of you say, okay, Jesus was resurrected. Yeah, okay, fine, I accept that. But y'all not going to be resurrected one day. People that fall asleep in God, not. How can you say that? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. In other words, that doesn't make any sense. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, which he did. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. In other words, y'all are saying things that just don't make no sense. A lot of people out there are saying things that don't make sense. They're contradicting themselves. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. In other words, what he's saying is that, okay, you don't want to believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Number one, you're wrong. But even though you're wrong, if that's the case, then you are still in your sins. So, in other words, what you're saying doesn't make any sense. You got to believe all of the Bible or none of it. You can't believe, you can't pick and choose. Amen. So if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all people. We are of all people most 
to be pitied. In other words, our hope in Christ is not just in this life, but it's in the life to come. Amen. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Amen. So that's how we know that Christ is the firstfruits. He's the firstfruits of the resurrection. Amen. How do we commemorate the, free, the feast of the first fruits as believers today? How do we do that? Well, let's make sure first we have a full understanding so that we can understand how we are to commemorate the feast of the first fruits. Um, we have to remember Leviticus 23.10, speak unto the children of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land which I give unto you, that's the land of Canaan, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. How are we supposed to remember the first fruits? How do we remember everything that God did for us? How do we honor him in that? How do we do that? How, how, what is it that we do? 1 Corinthians 3, 2, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able to. In other words, we've got to grow up in our faith. We have to grow up. Exodus 3, 17, and I have said, I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt, a type of bondage, unto the land of, Can of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perjusites and the Havites and the Jebusites unto a land flowing with milk and honey. That's the land of Canaan. Now, this land was and is a real place, but it's also a metaphor for the promised land of redemption. So let's go back. Now, the Jews, the Passover, they put the blood of the lamb on their door. When the death angel came, saw the blood, he passed over. They went throughout the uh, wilderness. Then they came into the land of Canaan. As believers, Jesus Christ, the sacrificial Passover lamb, he shed his blood on the cross for us. He died. He was buried. He was resurrected. He brought us out of sin. And now we're walking towards our promised land, the redemptive life. Amen. He brought us out of that. So how do we honor the first fruits? What do we do? We remember, first of all, that Jesus is the Passover lamb. We remember that he is the first fruit of the resurrection of the dead. We also honor him for everything that he's done. He's brought us out of a spiritual bondage. He's given us everything that we have. He's brought us into land flowing with milk and honey. That's not only spiritual, but that's also physical. So many believers, Christians today, one of the ways that they, uh, one of the ways that they remember the first fruits is that they will sow a seed for what the Lord has done for them all year long, the year prior. They will sow a special seed. 
of first fruits. And for each person, that could be different. Amen. My first fruit may not be your first fruit. Your fruit, first fruits may not be mine. Whatever that number is, whatever that amount is, that's what they sow. Now, this is different from your tithes and your offering, but that's what they sow. So some people, they sow that into the kingdom. Why? Because they remember that the Lord delivered them all year long and took care of them all day long, year long and brought them into a place flowing with milk and honey. They remember what God did for them physically as well as spiritually. And so what they want to do is sow not unto man, because this is not between man. This is between us and God. See, we've got to grow up in our faith. And we have to understand that what we do is not about your church, beloved. It's not about you and people. In this instance, it's about you and God. Honoring God for what he has done for you all year long. What he has done for your family all year long. What some people do, we gave a first fruit into um, a church that we are connected with so they can go into an Israel, a Messianic Israel church. That's what we did with our first fruits this year. That's what we chose to do. So however God guides you, your first fruits, you give it unto the Lord. So what do we talk about today? We talk about the Passover, Jesus being crucified as the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world on Passover day. We talked about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Jesus being our unleavened bread, being without sin directly after the Passover. And we've talked about the Feast of first fruits. when we talk about how Jesus, through his resurrection, became the first fruits. And next week, we're going to be talking about Pentecost. I intentionally left Pentecost for next week. We're going to be talking about Pentecost next week. I intentionally left that for next week as we go into um, the last part of our uh, series on God's appointed time with man. So remember the feast. They are a foreshadow of things to come. Some have been fulfilled and others are still to come. All feasts point to Jesus Christ. That's why they're still pertinent and relevant today. It's not a Jewish thing, my beloved. It is all relevant today. They point to Jesus Christ. They're a time for worship. They're a time for family. They're a time for reflection for remembering and commemorating what God has done for us. They are a command from the Lord to remember the Sabbath and the feast. It's not optional. It wasn't man's design. It came from the Lord. And when we understand the biblical context, the purpose, the, the meaning behind them, we'll get how it is applicable today. And it is for every Christian believer. Amen. I pray that you got something from this today. Uh, next week, we're going to be finishing up our teaching series on God's appointed time with man. And uh, we want you to remember that there will be a, another Shabbat dinner coming.